20 million people died in Europe during World War II, during which the Allied powers clashed with the combined might of Nazi Germany and fascist Italy. Often remembered as an unambiguous force for evil, their ideas somehow remain living within us today. The curse of the far right, now as it was then, must be resisted and we, the brave soldiers of the Free Speech Podcast, are prepared to fight them on the beaches, landing grounds, fields, streets, or wherever else Churchill imagined having fisticuffs. On the Western Front, there's me, the embattled Nile, from the cockpit of a Spitfire. And on the Eastern Front, there's Comrade Christina, Kalashnikov in hand at the head of the Red Army. Welcome, soldiers, to the Free Speech Podcast. How's it going this weekend, Christina? Well enough, I suppose. Can't complain. Well, I can. I complain every day, but... Yeah, well, we've got something to complain about. We've got fascism in the past and fascism in the present. Why fascism, Christina? This this is your idea. This is your brainchild. What, what's fascism crawled into your head for? Why did fascism crawl into your head? Well, I saw a movie. <laughs> the movie was called Starship Troopers. <laughs> And uh, it's a very strange movie. And that inspired me to talk about fascism. <laughs> I have never watched it, so I have no idea why. Right. Um, well, uh, at the surface level, it doesn't seem like that would make sense. Because it just seemed like a um, pro-fascist movie, actually. It's very, like, typical action movie. But it's very clever in that way that it gets us into the fascist mindset and kind of forget about it as we watch this movie. We, we like begin to sympathize, sympathize with the fascist. And I thought that was a very interesting way to frame it. Of course, we run into the problem that uh, the, the message gets lost in the translation where some people actually really glorify the fascism and other people uh, recognize the critique behind it. And that's kind of a classic issue for movies that bash Nazis and stuff. But yeah. I thought it was interesting and I thought it was uh, inspiring enough to bring up the topic. It certainly sounds it. Uh, however, if you're expecting us to have sympathy with fascists, God, that's not where we're going. And <laughs> it inspired me to go find, a, to talk to a few people. And my grandfather was a World War II fighter bomber and he was uh, a rear gunner in a Lancaster bomber and he was deployed in Egypt where he fought the Italians and the Germans um, because that was the range of which the, the air base could reach and uh, there was a, a, a famous occasion where he had diarrhea and couldn't go on a flight one day and so they had to replace him that flight never came back Ooh. <laughs> so I would not exist 
if he had not had toilet issues on that particular day. <laughs> so this is a nice origin story. It is. There's actually, a, his flight logbook still exists, but somebody else in the family has it and they're like, we can't find it. So there's a bit of a bit of a search going on there. I've mm. also got a, 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 f- a friend of the family who's Italian and her ancestors came from to Ireland from fascist Italy and because they disagreed with the regime. Um, but the problem was the British still viewed them as enemy. So they had to like come in and like really restricted refugee status. So like they had a curfew at like 6 p.m. and things like that. And they would confiscate all their wealth and stuff as they came in on the boats. So in order to keep their wealth, her like, I think it was her great grandmother, baked the coins inside their food. Oh. Well. Yeah, because. Because they would, previously they would like sew the coins into secret pockets and their, their jumpers and stuff. But then the British got wise to that. And like all the other refugees were like having all their money and, and property confiscated. And they were like baked it into cakes and stuff because the border guards weren't going to like look inside a bread roll. That's very clever, but awkward if the border guard is hungry and asks for a slice of bread. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so uh that's uh some wor- world war ii stories for you i can't have any personally i wasn't around at the time uh however i have indulged most of the the, the reels available on the history channel before they ruined it with ancient aliens <laughs> you you got any war stories before we dive into this fascist mess Oh yeah, I, I have a lot of stories that my family has told me. My grandmother, uh, mostly, because uh, she's the only one that talks. <laughs> um, uh, well, she she was four when World War Two broke out. Um, born in in Romania in, in Transylvania, what is the like Hungarian speaking part of Romania or mixed? And um, she has a lot of interesting stories from the time. The ones that amused me the most were the stories of like Russian soldiers and their whatever weird shenanigans they got into. And (laughs) hearing her talk about it, it's like she framed the Russians as really stupid, uncivilized people who knew nothing about (laughs) modern things. I don't know how. She's not the most reliable narrator. God, my tongue got twisted there she's not the most reliable narrator so keep that in mind but um yeah she told me these stories about like russian soldiers not knowing what a bathtub was and they like (laughs) attempted to uh make like a bonfire under it and cook a soup in it and why does that make some degree of sense yeah and like uh, they got so mad at an alarm clock they 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 just straight up shot it (laughs) with their gun (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, and they were so fascinated by perfume that they emptied the whole bottle over their bodies and was like, you know, sashaying around, looking really, really content with themselves. Meanwhile, everyone around them was fainting because it was too, t- t- too strong. Now, <laughs> uh, whether true or not, I think that's one of the stories we may wish was true. Yeah. 
<laughs> but there's something about soldiers and getting up to shenanigans because they're usually, especially in wartime, they don't want to be there. And so whenever they're like stationed somewhere, they get drunk as heck and they get up to all sorts of madness. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were... Indeed, it was it was awkward time, but... Uh, what she said was that oh, the, the grown-ups grown were very afraid of them, but uh, in actuality they were super kind and they loved children and they were taking them on adventures and stuff. Meanwhile, their moms was terrified and was thinking that they would never get back, but they got back and was really happy and had new stories to tell. <laughs> so, um... That part of the interesting thing is, because in World War Two, you were drafted into the army, so they were probably literally ordinary people that would not have been soldiers without the yeah. army. Yeah, and and according to her stories, this was like these were really, you know, quite innocent, naive people that just didn't really pose much of a threat, except that, for an alarm clock. That is sometimes one feels that way about alarm clocks. I'm afraid. Um, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Uh, I really, really can. But is that not such a? That is such a good representation of the Second World War. It drew in everyone. Didn't matter if you wanted to be involved with it. Didn't matter if that was your cup of tea or not. It just brought you in, whether you were a victim or you were drafted. You know, you were made part of this conflict. You were, your life was changed because of fascism. Yeah, I mean, my grandma has more stories where that came from. I mean, the bomb fell straight on one of their neighbor's houses. And I think... um it was this crazy story where I think her grandmother was it. Does it make sense? Yeah, I yeah, know. Uh, some older member of the family, uh, well, they got a bomb on them, but they managed to survive by. This is how she told it. I don't know. It it doesn't make sense, but she like the 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 house was obliterated except for the the rafters or the structure, you know, like the skeleton of the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she was standing right on one of those and was left standing. After the bomb, uh, you know, after the smoke had um, oh. had laid down, and apparently her skin got like pitch black because some kind of weird reaction where she the blood just filled up her skin because she was so afraid. This is very strange. It doesn't make much sense, but this is this is how she told it to me. Uh, and. Uh, Oh, another thing that's really heartbreaking is that my, my my grandma's childhood best friend was a Jewish girl. And uh, one day she was really happy because she was going on a camping trip with her parents and, well, she never came back. Yeah, what can you say to that? If you're watching on YouTube, you will enjoy the facial expressions I went through during that description. <laughs> no, we could... We could pull these stories out forever. I don't think you could. There's basically nobody out there in Europe or in America or in Asia that has not got an ancestral story of World War II. So I think it's about time we we, we poured some light on the idea that caused such suffering. And this is your time to shine. Gut reaction, Christina. What What is fascism? Something that deserves to die. Yeah, bit more substantive than that please <laughs> um uh, a mental illness i would say you're proving my point here that this is nobody knows what fascism is it's something we've all heard of but 
it is beyond most people, even beyond most fascists or people we call fascists, actually what it is. Yeah, well, nobody considers themselves to be a fascist. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's... So what we're really dealing with is a range of related ideas that we could call the far right. Yes, and this is very important because uh, the far right uh, it likes to think that communism is fascism. Uh, now, I'm not talking about living under the communist regimes in Europe at the time, but like the ideology of communism is not fascism. <laughs> yeah, we're actually going to get to that. That's a whole section we've got there. Some really interesting things to tease out there. For yeah. now, I want you to try and see if you can tell me anything. What is a fundamental belief of fascism? Um, it's some kind of authoritarian... Um, uh-huh, yeah, you're on the right track. Yeah, um, uh, I'm having difficulty gathering my thoughts and my words today, but... Um, yeah, they absolutely have a, an authoritarian streak. They have a... A Führer streak, a right to rule streak, that there's a, a certain person or type of person who is the natural sort of ruler of society, like a Hitler figure. Yeah, uh, and it's, it, it has to be like mixing with ideas of superiority, uh-huh. because that, that's like the basis for uh, the whole right to rule um, ideology mm-hmm. and the idea that the, the state or what have you uh, should enforce this uh, superiority. And, right. You uh, hit on a theme, that's what I wanted you to hit on. This is called organicism. Organicism designs society as something unified and complete and homogenous. Something yeah. that has one property or character that defines it, and to step outside of that property or character is to no longer be part of that society. Yeah, so the, so the things that have the organic property are considered superior to those who do not have the organic property. The most obvious one being, are you a, are you a German? Yeah. And of course, the Jews were the opposite in that regard. So yeah, they, the did, they Jews, did not have the organic quality. Yeah, but also, you know, we have uh, uh, homosexuals, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. transsexuals, uh, um, even if that was rare at the time, they did exist, I'm sure of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mentally ill people, disabled people. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's... Um, You're absolutely correct. Yeah, just quite important to remember that uh, they had a very strict idea of what was considered a... Uh, someone that is worth has human worth mm-hmm. what you were the most pure the most uh the mo- yeah the most superior in an organic way so yeah. the psychology and the of jews it- were like the, the the biggest scapegoat of course but mm-hmm. go on. the uh so we can break this down into two psychological sort of reactions you've got autophilia and alterophobia the autophilia means that you look at this group around you that you've decided has the organic quality that you like. That is the, whether they be Germans or whatever far right group you're talking to, whatever arbitrary criteria they've said makes you superior. So you love that, that, that group. So your autophilia, you love yourself, auto meaning yourself, because obviously you have got that criteria that makes you superior. Mm. 
So you love yourself. The other one is alterophobia, which literally means the alter, the other. You have a fear of the other. Yeah. So you have a love of yourself, autophilia, and a fear of the other, alterophobia. So when this translates into a political system, you get an official promotion of the we, the in-group, the us, and a desperate fear and hatred of a they, the out-group, the them. Sound right to you? It sounds right to me. And and when you look at groups like, I don't know, like the Boogaloo Boys and the things in America in the modern day, and they all want their like uh, white supremacist states they want to set up, you know, with their little compounds that they build in America, you really get this idea of the, they love each other. They even, you know, they call each other brothers and everything. It's real autophilia. They really do love their in-group. And they build walls around their compounds. They will kill anyone who isn't like them. They drum up the hatred among themselves. Serious fear and hatred of the other. Their alterophobia. And yeah, I think that I would say that they love the idea of the in-group more than they love the actual members. For uh, sure. That's but. probably sure, yeah. <laughs> but Because they are miserable f- but. What I find interesting about them is we can make, for example, we can say we like a, a property in someone. We're meritocrats. We like talent of some description. We think that's wonderful. So you could say we have autophilia for the talented people. But the criteria that these people use to decide what is better and what is not good is so arbitrary. It's almost to the point of random. Like Yeah, I also think the, the way you frame that is a bit dangerous because uh, uh, it's not like we consider people with talent uh, uh, to have, uh, you know, more worth as human beings. Mm-hmm. It's just that we, you know, support that and want to see that. And want yeah, to I'm just trying to confirm encourage. our mindset, comparing their mindset compared with uh, another type of group's mindset. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just trying to... Uh, eradicate any confusion mm. or misunderstandings that may come up here. But. So, yeah, we've got... So they love these arbitrary, uh, you know, these arbitrary ways to think something is better. So well, a non-arbitrary one, for example, say we could like kindness because that has some way to benefit somebody else. We think kindness is a good. But their their criteria for what makes you awesome is things like you have white skin. Yeah. Well, why? And it's like, they don't make any sense. And that's what I, really sticks out for me for fascism and the far right. The way they construct and make the world in their brains fundamentally does not make a single shred of sense. It doesn't. Um, and uh, I, I really spent some time trying to figure this out because, you know, it scares me that when I was younger, it was like a given that the Nazis were bad. It was like mm-hmm, an absolute mm-hmm. given. It, it wasn't a, a point of discussion. It was like, Nazi equals bad, and that's the end of that. And you you, you can't disagree, because if you do, then obviously you haven't learned anything about history. And but no nowadays, one wants to be seen doing a Nazi. Yeah, and, and nowadays that's suddenly not a given. That's suddenly mm-hmm. a point of discussion. I'm like, what happened? What happened? How did we get here? It's terrifying to me that it's not no longer obvious that Nazi equals bad. 
The interesting thing is, when it goes from the point where the Nazi ideas are popular, then they went unpopular, now they're popular again, their ideas still didn't make any more sense than they ever did. No, it doesn't. And it's very, you know, painfully obvious to me that the people who are drawn to this ideology are, um, well, they are people with very low self-esteem who hold very little actual power in society, whether that be from their socioeconomical background or or uh, other factors in their life. Maybe maybe they um, are, uh, you know, can't uh, find any friends for whatever reason. They're in some way disadvantaged. They, they, they are the disadvantages. Disadvantage. Often men, because... Uh, it promotes this, a very I, masculine or alpha male like way of living. Yeah, but also because I don't think this is important because um, we live in a society where men are more valued than women. That's slowly attempting to change, but it's still a thing. And that, that means that these people, well, they, they don't have any power, but they, they, they have a very strong sense that they should deserve power. Like mm-hmm. they, they, they're entitled. They are, they are entitled, they are owed something by the world because they have told them, oh, you're a white male, you should be strong and lead the world, but they don't. Um, and that's why they try to find their worth in, in this arbitrary, like, you know, we have really just, I'm sorry, but pathetic <laughs> that, like, look like they had two brain cells and probably hasn't showered in weeks. And they consider themselves the master race because their skin is white. I and find that's so sad. I have no words to describe how sad and pathetic that is. Like the you're not the master race. You're literally the lowest life form on earth I can imagine. Like the way I, just a, 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 a sea urchin has more worth to me than you do. The way I've discovered a best way I think I can really describe this is. They select an arbitrary criteria, which is then used and then viewed as an absolute. Mm. And so what what do you think happens now when people with these sort of beliefs get together? The thing that's, it's very logical. They'll obviously seek out people that share their ideas, right? Right. Then they'll come together and they'll form a closed community. Think of like the the crazy, uh, you know, the ones who go in America, they lock themselves off in a compound. And they sort of then frame that as being the beginnings of a utopian future. <laughs> like we're going to, this is the seed from, whoops, hit my microphone. This is a seed from which we're going to build the utopian future, which will be based upon whatever random arbitrary criteria we have viewed as an absolute. So our white skin will be the thing that determines our our fate and our future greatness as a result of us having white skin for some reason. Yeah, but you're kind of framing it like they are going underground and building their perfect world from there, but they don't. They enforce their their views on others mm-hmm. violently. Yeah, they. but that's part of it. But the first st- stage, I'm telling you, is they go in and form these communities, which they then plan and expand. Yeah. So like Nazi parties or other far right, they tend to be underground first and they tend to survive underground until society changes in a way that it's more opportune for them to push their ideas into the mainstream. Oh, and they have, they have succeeded. So you have these things. So even when their ideas are out of fashion, they're still existing in these groups, just 
you know, reinforcing each other's ideas and biding their time. So you have this horrible situation where, where the far right belief system is self-perpetuating even whenever society is closed off against them because they will huddle down and they'll wait their turn. Yeah. Okay, now let's have a, let's do something painful and try and step into their shoes and imagine we were them. Now, looking outwards, if we're living in a compound, we've got all sorts of guns and weapons and we're, we're ready to go. What do we view the outside world as? Uh, well, I think this, uh, um, at the core of what drives their, their, their violence or their hatred, I'd say, is uh, an idea that they have been um, denied something that was their, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, their divine birthright. right. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> like they, they have been something has been taken from them their mm-hmm. their superiority has been has been taken from them and that's that, you know when you think about this like oh they will not replace us and all this kind of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely weird, nasty chance it's it's yeah it's very much like uh, uh, they imagine that they are fighting some kind of righteous rebellion against those that have um bereaved them of their god-given power to rule over others oh they might but they might not believe in god but they whatever arbitrary yeah yeah yeah, no uh, some of them are christians to be fair yeah yeah i I know i I was just like framing it because they Mm. they they believe Mm. that they have a natural right to rule right yeah um and of course that doesn't make any sense so Indeed, you're quite right. That was a very, very good answer. They, they view the current society as being ruled by some undeserving elite. That yeah, is, some kind of infiltrator, some kind of... Yeah, and they think this surfer. elite is facilitating the decay of the society. So when they look around, you often hear that, for example, in Nazi parlance and in some even on Fox News, they like to use the word degenerate. Yeah. They say society is degenerating, which can often be tied with they literally believe the racial purity is literally degenerating. Um, And these uh, these far-right folk promote themselves as a purer and better elite in waiting who is destined to replace the field elite. And of course, uh, the interesting thing is the you know, they would actually end up being worse than the current elite because they're totally insane. But they present themselves, as you alluded to, as the saviors of society. They've got a God complex. They think they're basically Christ, even though they they wouldn't like Christ because he was a Jew. Yeah. And I think this is uh, important. Like they they are, they they have the idea that they are taking back something that Mm -hmm. they, they're, yeah, they are taking back something that was theirs or whatever. Um, so I think I truly believe that that each and every conservative pe- person, even if they they don't hold any outright racist views or what have you, they are by definition flirting with fascism because this idea that um, you know it's very popular nowadays to talk about like. Oh, society is degenerating because the family values are disappearing and we no longer have the nuclear family unit and women are sleeping around with whoever they want and I'm mad because I'm sexually frustrated. 
Um, and, uh, well, um, I mean, hard to swallow pills, but these kind of people are flirting with fashion. That's what they are, that's what they are doing. And I have such a hard time wrapping my head around conservatism in, in general. Like, why would you want to go back? Because society has evolved for a reason. The dialectic is always reinventing itself and moving forward. Why are you just such a, you're just a pawn to the, I mean. You know, you made an important point here and it's something that I, it's a subtlety that I think we should express here. That the far right is part of a spectrum that connects to the standard mainstream right. And there is no discrete point over which you can say, right, one is a conservative and one is a fascist. They go on a sort of a sliding scale towards more like fascism or less like fascism. I know, yeah. And I know people who hold these conservative views who are very like, no, I, I, I hate the fascists. But, but if you hold these views that the nuclear family unit, like the, the the reason that the world is decaying is because we don't value that as much as we want it. Well, you, you are flirting with fascism. That's what you are doing. Uh, and you may not realize it, but I mean, t- <laughs> that is what is happening. The, the, ski- the sliding scale logic also annoys people on the left, like social Democrats hate being like compared to, you know, what they call tankies, which was like the militant communists. But, you know, the logic of, well, you're on the same sliding scale is kind of the same thing. At what point do you transition from being a soft leftist to a hard leftist is kind of the same thing. They're related ideas. They're just ideas in different intensities. Yeah, yeah. All right, for now, we need to take a break. Stay with us and we shall be back with you in a moment. Thanks for listening to the Freeze Peach podcast. Check in every Saturday for a brand new episode. If you like the podcast, please leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really helps us in the rankings. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Click the bell icon to receive full notifications when new episodes are released and, of course, like the video. Please consider sponsoring us on Patreon. Due to not being based in the USA, our channel is unfortunately not eligible for advertising revenue on the Anchor Network. A small monthly donation will help us cover our costs. Just visit patreon.com slash the free speech podcast. Your contribution is greatly appreciated. And remember to catch us on social media. We're on Twitter at The Two Peaches. On Facebook at facebook.com slash the frozen peaches. And on Instagram at instagram.com slash the freeze peach podcast. And back to the show. The far right are an eclectic mix of the odd, the dangerous, and the utterly insane. But we have to somehow come to some agreement as to exactly what they are, because they are akin to more mainstream ideas, like mainstream conservatism. But you would be easy to say, yeah, we see definite similarities, but you'd be very, very difficult to say, they're the same thing. Do you agree? Yeah. And so we are going to consult a theorist because we're nerds. And this fella, I'm probably going to ruin his name. So, uh, whatever. Cass Muda. Um, he tried to define like a list of stuff 
that if you tick maybe three to four of them, you can declare your proudly self as a fascist. Mm. You know what I mean? So mm. we're going to go through them all and we'll see if you agree or not. The first one, he said that uh, on your shopping list of the far right is exclusivism. Mm. Exclusivism is effectively alterophobia and autophilia, where they say, we, we have a characteristic, an arbitrary characteristic that we love, and we're going to like bring all those things we love together. And there's other characteristics we hate. And so depending on what the, the criteria is, that takes form as racism, xenophobia, blah, 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 whatever arbitrary definite, you know, what arbitrary discrimination you want to carry out. Mm. That's, I think, is probably the most obvious feature of the far right. They are in some way exclusivist, aka they're racist, classist, etc. What do you think? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Of course, we can't ignore Nazi Germany in this particular position where uh, they literally viewed people not of the quote-unquote German race as literally inferior, even though they they weren't exactly clear on what they meant by the German race. They didn't seem to understand much about genetics. They didn't, you know... <sighs> It was all very tenuous, to say the very least, but still, that was enough for them to create a very exclusivist system. Yeah. Um, do you think, therefore, that inclusivism, its opposite, is a good thing? Um, within reason. Yeah. This is the interesting thing, where some people said, we don't want to be like Nazis, so we'll just love everyone unconditionally because these bad people exclude people on things like that. But... Uh, you know, so you have to exclude some people, like excluding murderers, for example. Yeah, and you have to exclude Nazis. You you can't you can't include someone that's wanting to exclude you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just makes no sense. But so, it's interesting yeah. because we always receive, cr- cr- you know, not just us, but anyone on the radical side of the left will receive uh, criticisms for being too exclusive about people we don't agree with, as if we have Nazi-like tendencies, yeah. and it's like. The point, you can only have a Nazi-like tendencies if the exclusivism is based off of autophilia and alterophobia. Mm. The arbitrariness is what defines the exclusivism of the far right. Yeah. All right, we, we all agreed there? Yeah, 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 of course. And the, yeah, just to uh, make the point go home, excluding people that want to exclude you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not an arbitrary reason, <laughs> for sure. Totally. It's right. just, it's just, it's just damn good sense, right? It's just mm-hmm. the only logical conclusion. Step two in Muda's, I really hope I'm pronouncing his name right. I have a sick and suspicion I'm not just wrong, but I'm catastrophically wrong. That <laughs> it's anti-democracy. That they, fascists and far-right people, really, really despise in their hearts democracy. Mm. Do you agree? Um, I mean, it goes hand in hand with exclusivism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. Like... Like if you took the- away that Hitler viewed democracy, he viewed it as a way for him to take over the country... He didn't like see democracy as a good in itself. He was just saw like this thing I can do to make me a dictator. Yeah. And general that uh, far right people tend to like, obvious, I can't believe I didn't think of this beforehand. 
Look at what the Trump supporters and the far right people there wanted. They wanted Trump to be the forever president. Yeah. They, they wanted it and they invaded the Capitol to try and install him, even though he lost an election. Yeah. They fundamentally hate democracy and they fundamentally favor dictators. Yeah. Um, Muda lists um, a few examples of what he means by anti-democracy. One, general favoring dictator strong men sort of peoples. Cults of personality. And mm-hmm. I think this is undoubtedly true. Of course. What is Trump if not a cult of personality? Yeah, that's pretty much all he is. Hitler was too, but in a different way. Hitler was a force. He was so charismatic. Yeah, Hitler was competent. That made him much worse. Until he started taking drugs, but uh, (laughs) that's how he ended up making some crazy decisions towards the end of the war. But uh, when he talked, he really was almost had a magical quality where even if people would go in thinking, I hate this guy and I'm never going to listen to him, some of them would go out saying, hmm, I kind of buy it. Mm. Which is kind of worrying, but yeah, they're almost all cults of personality. There usually is some sort of leader with a, a cultic, almost like messiah-like quality to them, and they creep me out. Yeah. <laughs> the next one he listed was, and I think this is very relevant, populism. Mm. What do you think they mean by populism? Um, I mean, isn't the, the I think of it kind of like a, a um. Uh, uh, um, well, they, they try and do what the people want to be popular. Yeah. But the point is, it's kind of a right-wing fake populism. They pretend that they're going to do what the people actually want. They'll say, like, for example, Donald Trump says, I'll keep jobs in America. While during his tenure, the jobs actually decreased in number. Right. Yes. So like, you know, it's a promising great things to the people but that could be relative levels of sincerity involved. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we agreed there? Yep. Okay, number three, traditionalist value system. Now, this is interesting because it's specifically referring to a school of thought called the traditionalist school, which laments the disappearance of romanticized great people mm. and like fetishizes certain virtues. Like in America... They virtue, uh, they fetishize the virtue of law and order or the nuclear family or the German language or white skin as if they were something really important in the history of the people and the nation, even though that might not actually be true at all. It's defined by the romanticization of that history. Yeah, yeah. Do you agree? Absolutely. Do I think, uh, you know, your countryman, the golden one, the famous guy, does that a whole lot, where he romanticizes oh. European history in an almost Lord of the Rings-like way. Yeah, he's he has definitely read too much fantasy. Uh, he's a perfect example of that. Romanticizing the past and therefore basing their present-day belief system oh, as if that past was true. He's such a weird... I, like, I, I like to study him under, under scientific conditions. Very strange human being. I don't think he's still around, is he? Or is he dropped off the face of the earth? I think. Oh, he's probably still around. But no. I think his time has come and gone, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, 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 I prefer not to think about him. But on the other hand, he's very amusing, you know, for it's just such a ridiculous person. Yeah, he's a, he's a bit of a caricature. Um, yeah, oh, so very much a caricature. It's ridiculous. 
Now, number four, and I think this is the most interesting because we might actually be slightly sympathetic to this. A combined economy. A fascist mm. or far right sort of, this is the sort, this is not always true, especially in America, but I'll get to that in a second. But they will mix corporatism, i.e. selecting corporations that agree with the state, state control of certain industries, and sort of combining that together. Mm. So you're allowed to like continue your private business as long as you do not in some way go against the will of the state. Like an awful lot of Western companies continued to operate in Nazi Germany, even when there was a, you know, a, a trade embargo. For example, the Coca-Cola company in Nazi Germany was not allowed to directly communicate with its American base, but it still continued under the name Fanta. Mm-hmm. And so as long as you were in some way okay or working with the Nazis, they permitted you. For example, look, Volkswagen, the, the car company, for example, mm-hmm. was actively promoted by the Nazi government. Yeah. And the Nazi government themselves took control of certain industries where they saw fit, nationalizing them like left-wingers. Mm-hmm. And that's the interesting thing where we might actually have sympathy to some degree because what is essentially happening here is almost similar to the modern Chinese economy where it's positive liberty, where all parts of the society have to focus on that society's goals. It just so happened that Hitler was a lunatic. Yeah. (laughs) But there's nothing necessarily wrong with insisting that the private sector works on behalf of the people. No, uh, of course It not. just depends on what the, the rulers of that country actually believe. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think that's common sense in and of itself. You Which know, is interesting that, where it's like uh, a bit of socialism me. and national socialism. Yeah, that reminds me of this. Uh, I, I have been talking about this a lot because I, I, I was just so fascinated by it. Um, the Sweden Democrats, the, you know, were racist, uh, very much flirting with Nazi party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, some members have been outright Nazis, so <laughs> not even flirting kind of beyond that. Well, they they, they came with this idea that uh, it should be uh, illegal to, um, well, how do I translate it, to um, like... Um, Oh, I don't know how to translate this shit. <laughs> what, like, uh, speak against the country, criticize the country, criticize the no, government? No, 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 no. Like, like making um, uh, um, calls for re- religious action in the uh, in the the public. Do you space. mean like what, like public displays of religion? Uh, yeah, something like that. Um, and uh, like, um, for example. Preachers preaching uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. and uh, all that stiff stuff. And I, I thought this was a great idea, except that the day version, of course, excluded like church bells because ah. they are Christian. Oh, is it sort of like whenever uh, far right parties are like, they ban burqas and say it's for the safety of the people and then they like promote their own religion arbitrarily? Yeah, but it wasn't really a ban of 
Burke is most more so as public displays of religion and call for religious action. I don't know how else to translate it. Uh, I mean, I was like, yeah, this is a great idea, except that you should absolutely include Christianity in that. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that's this is a very good example of the the arbitrary. Like that, that's just an excuse to okay. enforce your own idea of uh, what society should be like under uh, arbitrary lines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the idea, if it would have, would have been enforced, you know, universally, then I would have agreed with it, but I don't in its current state. Not at all. Left-leaning people tend to agree with universalist policies that are inclusive, while right-leaning people tend to to support uh, exclusivist policies. So if you're going to do something to regulate religion, that those leaning left insist on a universal regulating of religion. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's just common sense to me. I don't understand how anyone could come with any arguments against it. But of course, since when yeah. do the fascists have good arguments? They don't. It's just arbitrary excuses to... There's one thing we got to clear up first, and it's really important, that we've got all these sort of general ideas of exclusivism. I've got endless examples. and But there's still some variation in what far-right groups actually believe. So, for example, in the Western Europe and America, in the modern day, they tend to be very anti-combined economy. Mm-hmm. We could almost call them libertarian fascists. So remember, it's just as I talked about how Nazi Germany used a positive liberty government to like rebuild its army and things like that. Mm-hmm. They hate that sort of thing. They're almost got like a the Western fascists these days almost have a libertarian bent to them. Yeah, yeah. While if you go to Eastern European countries um, to look at their modern far-right groups, they will tend to emphasize anti-communism. And it'll yeah. be like their big thing is anti-communism. So yeah, the degrees with which these arbitrary criteria matter can vary in time or place. Anti-communism, for example, is much more important to the identity of Eastern Europe, European fascists as they previously lived under communism than Western far-right groups. However, and this is a subtlety, draw the difference between what the, the right-wingers in the West say is Marxism or communism and what these Eastern European people might actually view as communism. Yeah. Like separate those in your brain. What they call communism in the West is not what they mean or what they're against. Yeah, no, no, not at all. <laughs> so you might find, you know, like, uh, you might find if we went to, to Romania or whatever, you'd find that the far right there, a lot in their speech and symbolism would talk a lot about hating communism. While if you went to Britain, for example, you might never hear the word communism unless it's being used in that particularly American way of, uh, you know, calling anything you don't like Marxist. Yeah, I actually have a, a little bit of a story here because I was in um, Transylvania a couple of years ago. And um, mm-hmm. I don't want to say what person this was about. It doesn't really matter. But this uh, guy said something of the sort that uh, Romania is like... Um, um, you know, doing some kind of deforestation uh, for the for the highest bidder, like um, selling its food to other countries for really, really low prices, and meanwhile destroying the beauty of nature. And he was like, "Yeah, it's communism." And I was like, "Excuse me, what in that is communism? Because it sounds like you are describing capitalism." <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's very strange. And, and he, he didn't even deny it. He was like, yeah, it's like a capitalistic communism. I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. Everything I don't like is communism. I, I do love that there's almost a certain amount of self-awareness in right-wing pundits who are like, uh, yeah. yeah, we know this is a straw man and we're, we're going for it. We love it. Straw yeah, man yeah. again. Yeah, I'm, my favourite kind is the kind that denies their sympathies with uh, uh, Hitler and uh, goes on to say that Hitler was a communist. That could be an entire episode on its own. Uh, that's, uh, that's some kind of uh, uh, staggering amount of delusion. So, yeah. fascism unites a culture of fear, a belief in societal decay, and a savior complex into a filthy dollop of hatred and mayhem. Mm. But where in the heck did this come from? Where did this idea come from? So I have summarized an immense amount of history in three bullet points. So you can get the most comprehensive thing I can provide in 30 seconds. Ready for the history of the far right by the free speech podcast. Step one, the French revolution. A group of ultra monarchists start to develop the mythology of the glorified past that far far right groups currently have today. Because everything awesome or interesting begins in the French Revolution, good or bad. Step 2. The Russian Revolution. The far right were staunchly against the left and communism who supported the Bolshevik Revolution. The far right really started to combine their sense of identity in the debates that were happening in France about the the Russian Revolution. Finally, this condensed into the Volkish Movement. This Volkish movement took emerging mythologies from German Romanticism and crunched them together in an idealized future that German people would live on based on the concept of blood and soil. That is the history of the far right by the Free Speech Podcast. What do you think, Christina? Yeah, that was a good that was a good one. <laughs> Why does everything start with the French Revolution? Well, I feel um, like has was it more important than even we previously imagined? Did it like this was such an important part of history that nearly everything in the modern world almost seems to look back at it as its origin, or yeah, at least its modern form. I love the French Revolution. That's the, that was the uh, that was the, the the one of the best things that has happened in the history of humanity by far. Just I gotta love the fact that. Uh, it links back to what we were talking about earlier, how the far right is intricately related to the right wing and that mm. people can move back and forward on this spectrum. Like where the, the original seeds of thought that became the far right came from super monarchists, monarchists mm. who were more monarchy than the monarchists. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, they would have viewed themselves as typical conservatives of their day. They would have viewed themselves as protecting the institutions that were rightly French and that were part of the French culture. They would not have viewed themselves as anything extreme or ever. They were just like, they would have viewed themselves as conservatives. But yeah. they weren't. They were clearly a prototype far right. Yeah. Didn't it, uh, uh, where did I hear that? Was it you that talked about this? Maybe not. The, 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 uh, the words that we use to describe, like, left wing and right wing that has its origin in in the french revolution absolutely those who oppose the monarchy literally sat on the left side of the room and those who 
Loved it. Sat on the right side of the room. Interestingly, now you mentioned it. I don't know whether this is true, but I read it. It might not be true. So just keep it there. Yeah. Is that the actual ultra monarchists that I'm talking about purposely sat as far to the right as possible. Like mm-hmm. far right. It yeah. sounds too good to be true. So I'm really suspicious of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I suppose they wanted to keep their distance to... I just wanted to show we're not just monarchists. We are like, we are getting off on our monarchism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a brief history of the far right. I'm sure we could do more seven or eight different episodes just covering that topic alone. Maybe we will one day if we're still around. But of course, before we go, we have to interrogate the modern far right because, you know, it's great looking back, but... Shocker that this stuff is still going on. Mm. So what's your opinion on the, the modern day far right? Like, uh, is it, is it, is it emerging in Sweden, for example? Is it something you can see happening? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, uh, it's kind of like, uh, um, like how, uh, Trump, uh, how he's him being president kind of like um open the floodgates yeah i mean to a lesser extent that has happened with the sweden democrats uh not not absolutely not to the same extent uh, but were they pre- hold on i'm just for context were they previously just a right-wing party that moved to the far right or were they always a bit of a it's a thing that i don't necessarily know if they are far right they are very strange in that way they are like are they flirting with the far right oh they, no they they are more than flirting i mean they have been members who have been openly and proudly in uh, nazis uh-huh. uh, but like they are they are like uh, economically more kind of weirdly centrist in in a in a strange sort of way but uh, culturally they are very far right or far right i mean it uh-huh. it's kind of a spectrum within the party because not not everyone within it uh, some we have some supporters of the party they are just like I just don't like any other party, mm-hmm. so I'm going with this one because I'm a contrarian. And then well, they, they are, are the people... protest vote for some people. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the voters are protest votes. And then they are, of course, the the outright proud Nazis. Um, so there's kind of a, a weird spectrum within the supporters, but they uh-huh. don't seem as unified as like Trump supporters will you. Mm-hmm. So they are very strange in that regard, and economically they are not very far right at all uh, they are like as i said more more centrist economically it's really um, interesting it's also kind of sinister because you never yeah. know who could start flirting with far right ideas i know it's very strange um and uh, oh this is not no relation to this at all but i kind of find this really amusing that they were against um um wind wind power wind turbines mm-hmm. uh, you know, never mind that they are really good for the environment at all. They were against it, against it because the, it ruined the pretty landscapes for them. <laughs> uh, you see, got all those degenerate windmills destroying their gene pool. It's so weird. That they, I just like to look at them. So never mind, uh, you know, taking care of the environment. Ad- will, will they adopt Donald Trump's conspiracy theories that will, windmills cause cancer? Uh... I, they probably have, I haven't heard it. I know that I saw one weird, really convoluted argument where they showed a video of a bird um, crashing into a wind turbine and dying. You know, a tragic, tragic thing. I like birds, I don't want them to die from wind turbines, but they They also crash into my windows. Yeah, yeah, but they frame this like, look, it killed this one bird. 
so they're all bad. <laughs> well, they like put him up like like Harambe, the monkey or whatever, and like worship this poor bird. It was like, this is why windmills are bad. Uh, this would be funny, but no, uh, no, it was just, uh, I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's sad. But this, this is not an argument against uh, wind turbines. It's yeah. so weird. All right, we need to finish off here with our last point, and we're going to another theorist called Mark Sedgwick, who I'm much more confident I got his name right, and he has tried to define the features of the modern far right specifically. Mm. So the previous guy is still relevant, but this guy is just zoomed in a little more on the particular Western modern tradition. Mm. And he claims the far right groups have four elements. The first one is apocalypticism. Oh, this, yeah. This is an idea that began with a, theor- a theorist that we're even slightly sympathetic with in some ways called Oswald Spengler, um, who kind of came up with the idea of Prussianism or radical conservatism or, or sometimes he called German socialism, in which he viewed the whole country under the Kaiser working as one organism. It's effectively the idea that spawned that combined economy I referred to earlier. You know, like positive liberty, everything in the country works for the good of the country. Mm. That kind of came from him and it was called Prussianism. But Mm. he also wrote a book called The Decline of the West and he sort of believed that the empires would always fall and things like that. Came up with ideas like Caesarism and things. We might Mm. even do an episode on Spenslar at some degree. Um, It also came with another writer, Evola, who was an outright Nazi. And... They kind of keep up this idea that, do you remember the decay of society I mentioned earlier? Mm. That if that decay is not checked by the saviors, the the far-right groups themselves, there will be a time in which it is too late to be saved. And Mm. that is the apocalypse. Yeah. The modern version in Europe is the theory that Europe is becoming an Islamic country and that if we don't act now, the entire governments of Europe will be overthrown and replaced by Sharia law under like an Ayatollah or an Amir or something. Yeah, I think it's so weird uh, that the um, uh, the far far right people are so afraid of of uh, um, extreme Islamism and Sharia law because, well, because they see themselves in it. It's like the religious yeah, version of themselves. They are mirror images of each other. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean. The, the, and uh, it's like the, the, the hilarious sort of um, weird, like self-awareness that the ideas they know on some level that it's bad. <laughs> um, like we have misogynist men raving about how Muslims will come into our country and mm-hmm. rape our women. Women, meanwhile, they definitely just want to subjugate women to their will, like universally. Yep. <laughs> Generally, there's nothing I hate more than right-wingers criticizing Islam. God, it's hypocritical. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Number two, they have a fear of global elites. This is often framed within the context of conspiracy theories, such as cultural Marxist conspiracy theories, where people like George Soros are ruling the world via whatever means. They vary almost 100%. Some sort of conspiracy theories that presents a global elite that must be toppled. This goes back to the previous theorist, so I can't pronounce um, his idea that there is a an illegitimate elite that must be toppled. Mm. And so, in the current incarnation of the far right, they are viewed as the globalists, as uh, Alex Jones might call them. 
Mm. Do you agree there? Yeah, 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 of course. Uh, The third one is the friend-enemy distinction. This is a philosophy about whose one friend one's friend is and whose one enemy is. This is effectively just a, as I mentioned at the start, autophilia and alterophobia, literally mm. defining who's the bad guy and who's the good guy. Like, for example, to go back to our Islam example, the far right people would say, we're the good guys, the Christian conservative patriots and the bad guys are Muslim immigrants from Syria or what have you. Yeah. Fairly uncontentious. Do you agree? Now, here's the interesting one that I really liked. Metapolitics. It seems to be a modern example of fascism and the far right not to call themselves fascists, Mm. but to sneak in fascist ideas disguised as being in some way more palatable to the masses. And sort of like the archetypal example is the Donald Trump people taking over the Republican Party, which was once sort of center-right to right-wing, and it's now very much a far-right party. Yeah, and I, we saw a thing um, very similar to this description happening uh, on social media um, a few years back when uh, Trump was just, you know, well, mm-hmm. when he won, um, where people were, like, sneaking in uh, um, fascist ideology into the mainstream through really to sites like YouTube uh, using like dog whistles and like uh-huh. edgy humor and, and mm-hmm. uh, like basically planting a Trojan horse of uh, fascist sympathies within it. And uh, so many people, so many people fell prey to this ideology and didn't realize that this is what was happening to them. And I think a, a very huge chunk of the popularity of uh, these ideologies today can be attributed to that specifically. Like in a, ed- in America, edginess and then slowly transforms into, you know, an outright swastika wearing uh, yeah. lunatic. This actually had a precedent. In America, for the longest time, it was, I think it was Richard Nixon, the corrupt president, who came up with it. It was called the Southern Strategy, where the Republican Party would specifically use dog whistles to appeal to racist voters without being overtly racist. And this was their official policy for literally decades. Yeah. And it's sort of really, this was the normalized racism in the modern times in its modern form, if you know what I mean. Whenever yeah. overt racism wasn't a fit, wasn't really acceptable and it totally like switched the paradigm to covert racism. Yeah, and this is, uh, frustrates me so much because we, we have this, this situation where left-wingers um, usually have a tendency to realize and see these dog whistles, uh, but we have centrists and other people who don't and uh, they go on like oh so everyone who doesn't agree with you suddenly is a nazi now is that what you're saying mm-hmm. and the left fingers are like no but we are saying that they are using nazi dog whistles whether they know it or not that is what is happening that's interesting because the southern strategy was literally official policy to use dog whistles and it's like the matter of public record this isn't speculation or analysis this is evidentially true yeah yeah i know well, like i don't know my mind instantly goes to our swedish pride <coughs> pewdiepie <laughs> and you know the whole like oh are you saying that pewdiepie is a nazi no i'm not but he's definitely using dog whistles i don't i, I don't know if he's aware of it he's a major dumbass but um interestingly when i tried to type in dog whistle on my script the uh it must be a flagged word in 
you know, the list of, list of words and it like suggested I change it to God whistle. <laughs> so what do you a, miss that? I don't know. <laughs> it's like a subtle suggestions that somebody might be a God. <laughs> like, I'm not saying he's a God. I'm not saying he's not a God either. <laughs> anyway, the last thing we've got to cover is, remember I mentioned earlier the traditionalist school? Hmm. This was very important to some particular people in the modern far right, specifically Steve Bannon, Alexander Dugan, who is like the Steve Bannon for Vladimir Putin, as well as the, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Jubit, J-U-B-B-I-T party in Hungary. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So this is... This traditionalist school, which was, as I mentioned before, was a fundamental aspect of general far-right groups, specifically and directly, not even indirectly, directly influenced Steve Bannon and Dugan. And Steve Bannon was the one who got Trump elected and the one who sort of created Trumpism. Steve Bannon, of course, was also involved in the propaganda outlet Breitbart and eventually got thrown out of Trump's cabinet because they had a falling out because Trump's incredibly unreliable. But Steve Bannon really is the father of Trumpism. Yeah. And these directly, like literally, he read the tradition of school and is like, I agree with that. That's how close the Trump idea is to actual fascism. Mm. And I'm pretty sure... That a lot more people like Dominic Cummings, for example, the sort of the Steve Bannon of the UK, has also been influenced by them. He too eventually got thrown out by his unreliable emotional boss. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's the sort of the, the the defining features of modern fascism, um, which we unfortunately have to live with today. Any final words before we close the coffin on the far right? Well, I don't know, you're saying that we have to live with it. Well, that does not mean that we won't fight against it. Well, that's the time when we can finish where we start with. We'd fight them on the beaches and we'd fight them in the, I don't know, YouTube channels. Yeah. Fight Nazis. Don't listen. See those people that say you should never, you should never punch Nazis. Well, in order to avoid being censored by YouTube, I suggest perhaps you should not feel guilty if one accidentally tripped over and went fist first into their face. Oh, I, I know I wouldn't feel guilty about that. So thank you all very much for sticking with us. And we'll be right back for your favorite segment where we react to stuff we find on the internet. Chill. I'll be right back. The internet is a terrible place. I mean, look who's on it. And it's filled with terrible people like Christina. But we we, we gotta face up to them. Like fascism has infected our world, so it has infected the internet. And so I assure you, being topical, we'll have a few quotes from fascisty sort of folk. 
to amuse you all and tickle your fancies. But first, we have a tweet from a man called Otto English. He is reviewing the contenders for the London mayoral election. I'm increasingly of the view that all the wrong people want to be politicians and all the right people want to do something, anything else. Thoughts? Uh, yeah. I just, it, it makes you reflect on the type of personalities that actually go to be politicians. They're not intellectuals. They're very rarely schooled in policy. Most of the time, they're narcissists who love being voted for. They love people looking up to them and coming to ask them for help and they love feeling they have power. Yeah, you know, this makes me think I had a, when I was studying philosophy at university, I had a a classmate that I kind of got um, friends with in a way. I mean, she kind of forced herself onto me. Anyway, uh, uh, she was like an alien to me. <laughs> um, she was very much the polar opposite of the kind of people I I I, mm-hmm. uh, I hang out yep. with otherwise. And uh, uh, she she wanted to be a politician, right? Um, but this was interesting because she was asking me about my political opinions. I, I was like, yeah, well, I I'm not really happy with any of the options we have, but I'm definitely on on the left, <laughs> and she was not. And she was like. Uh, I mean, she didn't really have a justification for it. Her her wording was like, like for her the way she said it was like, "Oh, I think I'm on the right because everyone around me has always been on the right." So like, you you believe in what you have grew up with, and like, and you're wanting to be a politician, but you can't think for yourself. Mm-hmm, that's a good sign. Uh, most most politicians aren't intellectuals. They're people. People. They're more interested in people pleasing than they are in ideological consistency oh yeah she was that she was she was an alien to me i i, I really don't understand that kind of person at all there is anyway. another type of politician though that uh, if they're a bit smarter they might simply be into the corruption literally they like the idea of getting money from corporations to run their campaigns and after they've sat a time in political office via the revolving door they will be hired into much more lucrative managerial jobs or lobbying jobs by companies. So like, even though you you earn a good salary as a politician, you don't earn a fortune, but a lot of them do it because they will be hired into jobs, which they will be paid eye-watering exorbitant salaries that nobody should be paid. the norm in Japan (laughs) where we have... uh, First of all, politics is kind of like a taboo subject in Japan. You don't really talk about it. It was just a bad sign to start out with. Uh, but then we have politicians who, if they support a specific corporation's uh, ideas uh, while they are in office, they will eventually get a, a very mm-hmm. high-paying position at that corporation where they basically don't have to do anything at all and just get paid a lot of lot of money. And they, their, their word for this is is called ascending. Like they have mm. ascended because they have sold their soul to this corporation. Well, when it happens here, it happens in most democracies, especially in America and the UK and almost all democracies where it's a capitalist democracy. But typically when they do it here, they become a lobbyist. So they officially like represent the company's interest to the government. Mm. For example, former Prime Minister David Cameron is embroiled in a scandal 
because he tried to like lobby the current government that and they got into some dodgy dealings. So you, you're talking about, you know, a real, that's why it's called a revolving door. You go in one door and out the other. Mm. And it's pure corruption. It's cronyism. You start your your politics. You make a lot of rich friends. You use those connections to get high paying jobs. It's the definition of cronyism. Yeah. And next okay. to nepotism, shing with a guillotine. Um, <laughs> moving on to a tweet by an anonymous person. If minimum wage goes up, will businesses will just raise prices? Response. So you agree, businesses use whatever tools they have at their disposal to keep the working class poor and capitalism requires exploitation and poverty. This is mm-hmm. not the argument you think it is. That's an admission of class war. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely love people that make statements like that. Like, hey, if minimum wage goes up, businesses will raise prices. I'm so smart that I just said that. I know. That's what I'm talking about. This weird, uh, unaware self-awareness. Like, self-awareness, but unaware that they are self-aware from right-wingers. That's It's amazing that it's- they, their brains don't go far enough to realize that. Is it actually true, though? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, a good example of this is a subreddit called Self-Aware Wolves, where we have uh, far-right people that are unknowingly actually supporting uh, left-wing policies because they know what's what's bad. Like they they know that that you know using people for your own benefit is bad. They just lack the intelligence to realize that that's exactly what they are advocating for. It's very strange. Interesting thing is, it's not at all true in regards to the minimum wage, that if you raise it, businesses will raise prices. Because actually, an awful lot of businesses have reported in places they have raised the minimum wage, their profits went up because Mm. people had more disposable income. They made more money because more people were paying for stuff. Yeah. Additionally, you can eradicate this problem in general by having a maximum wage to balance it out. So it's just entirely not true. These minimum wage fear mongers. It's just total nonsense and it should be called out as uneducated nonsense and ignorant nonsense wherever you say it. They are like willfully uneducated. It's <laughs> to be fair, most are lying. Most actually know what they're talking about. They're just on the right and they don't want to pay a minimum wage. It's where uh, I don't understand. Because they're grifters and they're greedy and they're rich people. Why would the rich person promote a minimum wage, unless they were particularly smart, like a some for some companies. Well, I, have I understand rich people being on the right, uh, but I don't understand why there are so many slickers, poor people on the right. Oh, that's that's uh, brainwashing. There's a whole class though of uh, semi-rich people that get paid to go on the TV and media and stuff like that and shill for the rich, and they literally they may know they're talking nonsense. They're doing it for the money. Yeah. Okay. Let's now load we up have, the guillotine. We always keep it nice and shiny and we always make sure to buy the best polish. Now, to our fascist that I promised we'd bring up. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Sometimes considered Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's evil twin out of the abyss. Started, like, leaked a document which claimed that she was trying to start something called the America First Caucus. Its purpose was to keep up the Trump legacy. The leaked document talked about 
uniquely Anglo-Saxon political traditions and about the so-called Great Replacement Theory. Mm. Here is what Marjorie Taylor Greene, by the way, she's a member of the House of Representatives in America. She's a congresswoman. No, this is what the... This is what the leaked document said about immigration, right? Mm -hmm. America is a nation with a border and a culture strengthened by a common respect for uniquely Anglo-Saxon political traditions. History has shown that societal trust and political unity are threatened when foreign citizens are imported en masse into a country, particularly without institutional support for assimilation and an expansive welfare state to bail them out should they fail to contribute positively to the country. When this document was released, she actually retracted, but I'd be willing to bet this idea will be trotted out again in a different form in the near future. But for now, she's retracted it. But uh, can you spot the dog whistle there? Uh, I'm sorry, all I was thinking that the the very first line, America is a country with a culture, I'm like, (laughs) are you sure? <laughs> I got stuck on that part. <laughs> check out, well, this is the biggest, most blatant dog whistle ever. Uniquely Anglo Saxon political traditions. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's. <sighs> it's one of those things where, you know, do you know that trial for of Derek Chauvin? Mm-hmm. Where the guy who killed. Uh, Shamir was making some stupid comments, Green was, about trials and stuff like that. And she was like, look at how wonderful. Um, it is to have trial by juries, right? Mm-hmm. And she was like, that was an English Anglo-Saxon idea that they brought to America. It was a, a white idea, basically. And she was embarrassed by pointing out that uh, the first juries were invented by Islamic Arabs. Yeah, I I was just going to say, first of America barely has a culture unless you consider fast food and Hamburg as a culture. Uh, and every every little ounce of culture it has is imported from other countries. You, you can't deny that. That's just a bloody fact. If you are going to have American culture, then, then uh, why the heck are you putting Indians in poor hell reservations? It's... America is the ultimate nation of immigrants from all around the world. I mean, yeah. like, how many presidents have had Irish ancestry? Very Anglo-Saxon there. Nonsense. You just mean white skin. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. It's so, it's absurd. It's, uh, America in general is just like, wow, am I really a part of a race of creatures that think like this? Mm-hmm. Hello, alien saviors. Please take me away from here. I am sure we will be featuring Marjorie Taylor Greene on this show many times in the future. She's all sorts of insane. She's a Q person. Mm. She's she's incredible. Although she does CrossFit and she's very good at it. She's much better at it than me. So in that regards, (gasps) I tip your hat to you, you (laughs) fascist lunatic. (gasps) Now, our last little entry here. This is a sad story. A police officer for Loveland, Colorado is on leave at the time of recording, awaiting investigations for violently arresting a 73-year-old dementia patient called Karen Garner for forgetting to pay for items worth $14 at Walmart. She forgot to pay and walked out the door. When the officer approached her, they pushed her to the ground and handcuffed her. 
She is now suing the department. The police officer did not even try and question her. He went straight to the arrest. The cop allegedly dislocated her shoulder. And in the end, they refused to let her pay for the items and refused all offers for her to do so. Oh no. Oh, this this story may have ruined my day. Thank you. What is wrong with American cops? It's so sad. Oh my, oh my, oh no. (laughs) You should see the video. The woman, like it wasn't even... It wasn't even like you could reasonably mistake the fact that she was out of sorts. She was in that very obvious fog that dementia, dementia patients go in when they don't know anything. Yeah. Oh, this is, this makes me so sad. <laughs> oh no. You know what it's she horrible. kept, and through the assault, she kept saying just, I'm going home. I'm, I'm going home because she'd forgotten where she was. And the cop as he was like beating her up effectively and like he lifted her and he slammed her down and he kept saying why are you making me do this that's what he kept saying why are you making me do this paraphrasing but that's what he meant and Uh, he was actively for his legal safety was like saying just for the camera Oh, she is me. I want to make sure you understand evidence that she is making me do this I'm I'm generally tearing up here. That's oh no. Do you not think that if you're if someone is being is reported to you for petty theft, you should try and talk to them for at least a minute first? Yeah, it might be a good idea. It was a couple of seconds and she was on her face. Oh I wonder well, this has ruined my day. Thank you very much for that. What is it about that we know that American cops are racist, but Whenever it's not a black man, this is a white woman. Interestingly, a, a dark-skinned man tried came over and tried to, like, you know, calm the situation, which is very brave of him because he could have been shot just because he was there. That's uh, very brave of him. Very, very brave of him. But she did not know what she was doing. She was clearly in a fog. And if you've ever had anyone with mental illness close to you, you know what that's like. It's a really distinctive state. She was totally confused about where she was. And it was only... Fourteen dollars worth of stuff. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I, sorry, I, I can't handle this. Sorry, I, I, I don't have, I don't have the emotional capacity to deal with this. But what sort of people are they hiring to be cops? I don't know lunatics who like to take every, uh, every excuse to beat someone up for no reason at all because they are insane. Oh, this makes me so sad. I, I have no words. Can, can this, you compare the this cop to the cops you might see in Sweden? No, I cannot at all. Why Swedish is that? cops are so very, very different. Well, first of all, they don't resort to violence right away. They don't even resort to violence when they should resort to violence. Dude, does, this, does the Swedish police force carry firearms? Uh, I think they do. Do they uh, carry firearms? Like in the UK, they don't, but in Northern Ireland, they do. I think they do, but I don't think that all of them do. Yeah, there's different no. divisions. I'm, I'm more talking about your standard, just normal cop on the beat, on the street. I, well, I honestly don't know. <laughs> well, have you ever heard, do you ever hear of police shootings in Sweden? No, never. And do you ever hear of a police beating the crap out of a 73-year-old woman with dementia? I have heard of police beating the crap out of people who didn't really deserve it um, once or twice. Uh 
it's not not it's not like it's not a, a pattern, right? It's not a system systemic pattern, not in the slightest, and nothing as bad as this. No. What would you say to this if you could meet him? What would you say to this police officer? I wouldn't say anything. I would probably just punch him. Sometimes actions speak louder than words. America, there's something wrong with you, and I think it's about time you really take a look in the mirror because it's getting beyond a joke. It's just getting to the point where it's like your institutions all have psychopathy. There's just a disease which is reached in and is a... God, I'm starting to sound like the fascist now. But it's like the decay in your society is obvious. And it's a right-wing decay. Oh, it's obvious to anyone looking in from the outside. So I think mm. we'll leave it there. Do you have anything to say before we stop? No. I just got really, really sad by this story. Yeah, there could have been... Adv- I haven't kept up with this story. Hopefully there was a good ending. Maybe we will talk about it again if we ever hear whether her suing of the department makes it back into the news I again. don't know if I want to talk about it. I, I think I just want to forget it. I want to bury my head in Animal Crossing and play it all day and ignore the rest of the world because... Yeah, we're the free speech podcast. We say things because they're important, not because they're nice. No. <laughs> Thank you all so much for sticking with us. and. Uh, If you like what we're doing here and you would like to build Christina a brand new throne, please head over to patreon.com forward slash the free speech podcast and give us some money. $1, $2, $10. My throne will be built by the shining dead bodies of jewel beetles. And a great thank you to those who have already sponsored us. And if we get over five patrons, we will start making the video available for you several days in advance of when it's available to the general public, just for our patrons. Till then, thanks so much for watching. I will see you again next time. I'm Niall, this is Christina, and this was the Free Speech Podcast. Mm -hmm.